turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We are officially in Advent season. I do not follow the liturgical calendar throughout the entire year. However, I do like the liturgical calendar at this particular moment, and we'll follow it. Am I picking and choosing from the liturgical calendar? Yes, because the liturgical calendar is not a binding thing of any sort, but it is helpful in the rhythm of the year. That's the whole purpose of the liturgical calendar. If you don't know what it is, you can Google it after church. Not during church. There's no Googling during church. There's listening to the sermon during church. When I was a kid, the pastor would say something, and it would make me think of something exciting in the book of Revelation. So I don't know if you, you know, before we could bring tablets and phones into the service. <clears throat> so he's talking about something boring like forgiving people. Who wants to learn about that? I wanted to read about the mark of the beast, obviously. So I spent many sermons not listening and reading the book of Revelation. Uh, <clears throat> do not recommend that. Did anybody else do that? I was curious. There's several of you that are smiling really big when I'm saying that. So like, who wants this boring old prayer topic? I want to know about dragon fire. Uh, so anyway, don't do that. Do as I say, not as I did. Uh, that's, that's my message this morning. But we are in Advent season. Advent is the four Sundays that lead up to and include Christmas. Um, and the purpose of it is to really zero in on the coming of Christ in the Incarnation. You know, when we, when we did church history, um, we really we looked at the Incarnation and how incredibly controversial that was in the early days of the church <clears throat> as people tried to wrestle with the reality that God had took on flesh and become a man. That was a big deal. We, we kind of just roll right along and like, yeah, of course, there were people dying over this topic um, and several different councils, Nicaea and Chalcedon, they were trying to figure it all out. And this, this precious doctrine that God became a man and it's outlined in the scripture uh, is a big deal. Christmas is a time for us to focus on not just the cuteness of the little baby in the manger, but the reality that God became man on our behalf for us to save us from our sin. So Advent, that's what it's about. And we're going to conclude uh, on December the 20th, I believe is the Sunday. No, December 23rd is the Sunday right before Christmas. We're going to conclude the discussion with a real deep dive into John chapter 1, and the Word became flesh. This morning, what we're going to do this week, and next week, and the week after, we're going to look at three different people that were directly affected by this event, and we're going to, so we're going to look at Joseph, never talked much about Joseph during Christmas, we're going to look at Mary, we have talked about Mary, but we're really going to spend next Sunday talking about her, today is going to be Joseph. Next Sunday, it's going to be Mary. And then the third Sunday, I'll be honest with you, I haven't figured out exactly how I'm going to do the third one. Uh, it's going to be probably about dragons and demons and Satan. Uh, so that's going to be, that really is true, uh, that be, and, and his involvement uh, in 
the incarnation. Well, he wasn't involved in that, but the effect that it had. And then the fourth and final Sunday is going to be about uh, Jesus. The Word became flesh. So you got the next four weeks. Already told you what you're going to be hearing. So today we're going to talk about Joseph. And uh, there's not a lot about Joseph in the Bible. Uh, it doesn't tell us why he isn't mentioned in the crucifixion scene. Mary is there by herself. Jesus has to look at John, his best friend on the earth, and say, behold your mother, also known as, please take care of her, uh, watch over her, uh, because we can only assume that Joseph has passed away. Life expectancy in the first century was not like it is now. The infant mortality rate was over 50%. Most people, if you could get a kid past the age of five, you were doing good. There are many, many, many historical records of people who lost seven and eight and ten children before they ever had a child make it past the age of five. But we're, we're not accustomed to living in a world like that. And then once you made it past the age of five, making it past the age of 55 was a big deal. Uh, to us, that's not nearly as big of a deal, but in the, in the first century it was. So we, we don't know what happened to Joseph. But he's not there past the story that we really hear at Christmas. The last mention of Joseph uh, is where Jesus is 12 years old and they're back in Jerusalem for the Passover feast and Jesus stays behind while Joseph and Mary go head back home and they assume Jesus is with them and he's not. And that scene where they go back and he says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? That's the last time in scripture we hear about Joseph. So let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 1 and let me, let's just go over a couple things that we do know about Joseph. We do know that he was either a carpenter or a stone bricklayer, a masonry guy. The word that is used to describe him when they are... Remember, we just talked about in Mark when Jesus was in Nazareth and they were, they were irritated and said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Is that, isn't that who this is? They're, they're saying, we know you. You're the local kid. We already know who you are. Who do you think you are? Coming back here with all these teachings and these miracles, who do you think you are? And the way that they kind of derided him was to say, isn't this the carpenter's son? And that word carpenter can mean either woodworking or stonemasonry. We'll just stick with woodworking because that's what most of us grew up with and understanding that Joseph was a carpenter by trade, so he would have been raising Jesus to do the same thing. That's about all we know, other than what we're going to read here. There's not a lot of information about Joseph, but let's read uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And dads, this is going to be easier for you today, or men in general, to try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He is engaged. He is ready to get married he and Mary are betrothed. That engagement is similar to our engagement. I don't know if we know anybody in the room that is currently engaged, but similar to Greg and Holly's engagement. The, the difference in their culture and our culture is uh, they almost viewed it like once you were engaged, the, the husband was supposed to go prepare a house 
and then come back and get her. I don't know if you see any correlation there, but that's used frequently. We'll talk about that later. But, but that's what's happening. Joseph and Mary are in that stage. Mary's maybe 14 to 16 years old. Joseph could be, let's say, he could be 17 to 20-something. We don't know exactly, but that's probably where those ages were. And he's trying to get everything ready. And then this happens. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Can we just stop right there? That is a really unique sentence. It is a really powerful sentence. It has never happened before, and it has never happened since. God chose a girl, 14, 15 years old, to bear the Son of God in her womb. This is a big deal. Joseph is just the guy that's engaged to her. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So you see that language is used. They're betrothed, but they're not yet really together. They're really in kind of this engagement period. They're not quite there, but the language is still husband. But they haven't been together yet. There has been no sexual union, and that is really important because of the virgin birth. But he, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. The emphasis there in not knowing her yet is again a reference to sexual union. The scripture is making clear, Matthew is making clear, he wants it to be understood that Joseph and Mary were not together until after the birth of Jesus. Jesus goes on to have brothers and sisters. That's later. Here, Mary, he did not have that union with her. And that is so that the prophet, uh, the, the prophecy of the virgin birth could be fulfilled. And it's to eliminate the doubt, because I can imagine as today, as it was then, the idea of a virgin birth is not easy to get or to believe. So, Matthew's making that clear. This is what I want us to do, though. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Guys, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You're engaged. 
and then she's pregnant. But you've not been with her. In the culture, Joseph could have, with a strict adherence to the law, he could have brought her before the Sanhedrin and had her stoned to death as an adulterer. He could have. But the law also made a provision that said you could divorce in this scenario and just put her away as uh, like what he was going to do. He doesn't do that because the Bible says he is a just man. He's an honorable man. He is not seeking to put her to shame. He just he wants this to go away. What I what I I'm going to read between the lines. All right, I'm just acknowledging that out loud. When I read that, and then I read verse 20, but as he considered these things, I'm trying to imagine what that considering looked like. The only thing I can imagine is, is that there were tears, and there was frustration, and there was, how could she do this? Right? How could she do this? Because he's not thinking yet, but this is from God, he's thinking this is good old-fashioned adultery. That's what he's thinking. That's all that he knows. He is crushed, and it doesn't tell us if Mary said, no, listen, this is what happened. The, the text doesn't tell us here what happened in terms of Mary and Joseph's con- conversation. But what it does tell us is that Joseph was considering these things. He was trying to figure out what he was supposed to do. So the the angel showing up was really helpful. The angel showing up was absolutely necessary. Now, let's just pause. Don't, uh, Don't take away from this that you should have angelic visitations to sort out all the things that confuse you. Okay? Now, I'm not saying you couldn't have an angelic visitation. I believe you could. But, but you should not have your expectation like, well, if God did that for Joseph, that's the way to get all this confusion figured out. That, that's, not, that's, not what we're, that's not what the point of this is. This is a unique scenario. It is top three unique scenarios in the Scripture, and it required an angelic visitation. So this, that is what God does for Joseph. And as he's considering these things, an angel shows up to him in the middle of that confusion and pain and frustration. I'm assuming these are all the things that Joseph is feeling. The angel shows up and says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. For what that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit which immediately changes everything for Joseph. In the middle of the confusion and in the middle of the pain, Joseph gets an answer that prompts him to obey God. Because the way the angel is talking, verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, is not a suggestion on the baby registry name book. That is not what the angel is doing. 
we in heaven believe it might be appropriate if you would consider Jesus as a potential name, is not the way that this is worded. The angel is saying, you will call his name Jesus, which is translated, God saves. That's what you're going to do. What is in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. You'll call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. That would have been quite a dream. To wake up and know, my wife is pregnant with the Savior. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, he but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph obeyed God. He went back to his wife and said, I'm not going to put you away quietly. I am going to keep you as my wife. And we're going to name this baby Jesus. I had a visit from heaven. Now there is another thing that we don't get from the text, but we can get pretty clearly doesn't take a big stretch. What's that nine months like with Joseph and Mary? Nine months, in one sense, can be quick, but nine months in another sense can be a long time. And as she began to show that she was pregnant, and the community, because it's not like they're in New York City. They're in a small little community. Everybody would know Mary is pregnant. And they're not married yet. So, hanky-panky happened somewhere. Right? What else would the community, what else would they say? They have no other, so all they would, they would be facing shame everywhere. And I don't know how they tried to explain it. And, the, and the, here's the thing, the Bible doesn't tell us what this was like. But Joseph had to deal with one of two things on a regular basis. Either Mary committed adultery and so he has that shame to bear, or Mary and Joseph hooked up before they were supposed to, and so he has that shame to bear. There's shame that he's going to bear, one way or the other. We don't have all those details. What we do have is that Joseph did what God told him to do. Let's go to chapter 2 of Matthew. So Joseph was obedient with the confusion, with the pain. He was obedient. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. So what we just skipped over was the, the wise men that come and visit. And Herod, who was freaked out by everything that was going on, the star, the wise men showing up, 
the idea that a Messiah may have been born, all he could think about was political power and being uh, in power, and he's uh, trying to finagle some things to basically, well, to get rid of whoever this upstart may be. So verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So Joseph encounters another angelic message. And this one is, Joseph, get up, take the family, flee to Egypt. Herod is coming to kill you. Kill the child. There's, there's something in here for, for men maybe to pick up on. There's something in here for our culture to pick up on. And that is that God came to the head of the home when it, when it regarded protection, when it, when it regarded taking care of the family. He came to Joseph and said, Joseph, get your family and get out of here. You're in danger. Could he not have went to Mary? He could have. He went to Joseph. Woven throughout Scripture is just the simplicity of the reality that God expects men to be men. Biblical men. Biblical men are protectors. Biblical men are providers. Biblical men have to take the brunt of the responsibility. That doesn't mean that biblical women are off the hook. We've had this conversation before. But it means that biblically men are going to be responsible for taking care of their family. So when there is murder afoot, Joseph, get the family and get out. Just throwing that in there. I know it's not Father's Day, but... It's here at Christmas too. And he rose and took the child and his mother and they went to Egypt. It also fulfills a prophecy because he's going to come back up out of Egypt later. There's all these things that are, that are happening. But Joseph was obedient under the threat of death. Really important. Now stay in chapter 2. We're going to scooch over to verse 19. But when Herod died, and what we're skipping over is one of the most terrible things in the New Testament, and that is the murder of all the babies under two years old. That's what we're, we're skipping over this part. Herod goes in and kills all these babies, and, the, and that fulfills what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah about the weeping and the lamentation. Cannot imagine. Verse 19, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. This is the third angel in the third dream. Again, 
These are really incredible circumstances. Because I would really like to have regular angelic visits giving me some directions. Just, I'm pointing that out. It would be really helpful. So, I probably don't need an angel to tell me to pick out which socks to wear uh, for work tomorrow. I could probably figure that out. But there's some other decisions. It'd be great if angels were just showing up left and right. Hey, Steve, this is, uh, this is really dumb. This is, what we, this is what you should be doing. But that is not the normal method that God employs. This isn't normal. What's happening to Joseph is not normal. He married a girl that was chosen by God to bear the Savior of the world. Not normal. Not a normal marriage. Not a normal wife. Not a normal baby. Nothing here is normal. Okay? So, let's just keep that in mind. God's helping Joseph out. What this does tell us is, is that God gives the grace that you need for whatever you need. And sometimes it could include angelic visitations. Okay, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that some really difficult guy's name, was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, which is where we've been in Mark for the past several months. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that, it was, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. There's something really unique here about Joseph's obedience. He's, he's been obedient in the middle of confusion and pain. He's been obedient under the threat of death. Now the threat of death is removed, and he's obedient to do what God said to do, which is go back to the land of Israel. But the way that he does that is on his way back, he runs into this guy, Archelaus, however you say his name, I can't get it out of my mouth. Um, he was over in Judea in place of his father Herod, and he wasn't much better than his dad. So Joseph is not excited about going back there. Um, so he's warned again in a dream to go to the district of Galilee. But what Joseph is doing here is he, does, he didn't have as many specifics. It was more of a broad go back to this area. And he still had to go figure it out, and deal with some fear, and deal with some uncomfortable scenarios. And God led him through all of that as the head of his home, as the head of the most unique household that has ever lived on planet Earth, the household of Jesus. He lands in this little obscure hill town called Nazareth, which is where Jesus is going to be growing up in the region of Galilee and where Jesus is going to spend the early part of his ministry that we've been reading about and discussing for the past couple months. He's obedient without all the specifics and all the details. 
you could be tempted to say of Joseph that it would be easy if God would just give me all these dreams and angels. But I'm not sure that any of us would really want to have been in that position in the total uncertainty of everything else that was going on. God had to help him hold his hand along the way and move him and direct him where he needs needed to go. Now, is God going to help you where you are at in your need to be obedient? Yes. Now, I've been saying it throughout this whole sermon. Don't expect angels. Now, you could have them. Put that off as that could happen. The Bible says we entertain angels unaware. Who knows? Some of you have probably done that. We'll find out when we get to heaven one day. But don't expect angelic visitations on a regular basis on what you should do next with your life. However, what I can take away from this and what as we are getting towards Christmas and getting in, zeroing in to the end of the year and everything to me always feels like a, a tunnel that's collapsing in and it feels that way at work. It feels that way everywhere. Our lives, the busyness, everything's almost on this autopilot because we already know what's happening. We're going to be decorating and eating foods and visiting families and there's some pressures that are associated with it and all of that. And uh, like this past week at work, if I called the corporate office, nobody was there because everybody's on vacation. That's going to start happening wherever you work. You're going to try to get a hold of somebody and you can't because they're out visiting family. The whole world just kind of condenses down as we go towards Christmas. Um, don't be caught up in, like Charlie Brown said, the commercial aspect of Christmas. What I'm, what I'm wanting to say about Joseph to us all this morning is that we want to emulate the instantaneous obedience that Joseph had to what he was told to do in the most bizarre and crazy and wonderful circumstance that has ever happened in human history. To be married to the woman who was chosen by God to bear the Savior of the world. We should be people as Christians that are instantaneously obedient, not necessarily to angel angelic visitations, because we're probably not having those, but obedient to what we know is right and what we know is right from Scripture. What we know is right from the Word of God and what He has commanded us to do. In other words, obedience that's portrayed by Joseph is something that we are all called to be. We are called to be obedient followers of Jesus. This is not a complicated message this morning. It's not even remotely complex. It's, it's very simple. Just do what he says. Just do what he says. What he says is found in his word. So we can scoot back one step and say, read his word and do what it says. We can, we can take another step back and realize that Paul makes the argument that anybody who does anything uh, 
or excuse me, if you know to do something and you don't do it, that that's sin. We, we, in other words, there's lots of things that we know as Christians. Some of us are professional Christians, but not necessarily living it out on a regular basis. We know all the right things. We know the right words. We know when to say amen. We know when the chord progression in the song reaches a certain apex. That's when you lift your hands, right? It has nothing to do with worship. It has to do with the way it feels in the moment. Ah, I look like a Christian, right? Hands are up, eyes are closed, swaying gently back and forth. We know how to do this, right? You bow your head when they pray. You shed a tear at the appropriate moment. That doesn't, what does it mean? Why do people leave the faith? Because at some point, living out a professional Christian existence is empty. It's just doing a thing. Because we live in a culture that demands some kind of substantive answer out of Christianity. When, all, when you reach into your Christian experience and it's just empty, it causes people to question their faith. Here is where faith actually exists. Doing what he commands. Super simple to say. And his commandments are not burdensome. My yoke is easy. All you who are weary and heavy laden, Come to me and you will find, anybody complete that? Rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If the burden isn't light and the yoke isn't easy, something is wrong. I'm not, I'm not looking for, we just preached two Sundays ago about legalism. I'm not, commandments are not legalism. Commandments are freedom. Living for God and doing what he says is where the real freedom of your soul lies. Being obedient to Scripture is where life is. Joseph avoided Herod by being obedient. He had direct, specific revelation from heaven over what he was avoiding. You and I may never know what we've avoided. Praise the Lord. How many times should you be dead, but you were following God and therefore are not until it's your time? You don't know the answer to that because there's no way to know the answer to that. Does that make sense? There's no way for you to know what you've avoided by following God. What you gain, though, in following God is a peaceful steadiness of soul that knows that God is with you no matter what, that He's going to be there to help you and carry you and walk with you no matter what. So Joseph, his lesson for us as we are zeroing in down the tunnel of December towards Christmas, his lesson is be obedient. Do what he says, do what the Lord says to do. Follow the word of God. And if you need specifics, I have a great answer for that. Read it. <laughs> Find the specifics. 
read the scripture and do what it says. And when you find that you can't, because I promise there's some things in here you can't do. I was always taught that God would never ask you to do something you can't. That is not true. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice means to feel it. Can you do that without some help? No. You can make words come out of your mouth. You can fake it until you make it. Right? You, you and I need help from God to do the things He commands us to do. So we are always in this wonderful position of I surrender all. Lord, I need help to do what I already know to do. And I'm not doing what I know to do because there's something wrong with me that doesn't get me over that hump. So that's where the desperation... The old, You know what old Pentecostals used to call this? Does anybody know any old Pentecostal stuff? Some of you do. They used to call it grabbing hold of the horns of the altar and not letting go until I prayed through. Is anybody familiar with that expression? So, so does, There's a lot of faith traditions that have said that in the past. Grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar in prayer, in desperation, and say, Lord, I cannot do this without you. I cannot do this without your help. And I'm not going to let go. So obedience is not just some, I will prove how spiritual I am by doing this thing. Obedience is, Lord, I need your help to do the very thing you've commanded me to do. And I trust and believe you will help me do what you command me to do. So, go out there and do it. Go out there and be a Christian. Go out there and live for Jesus. Go out there and tell people about Jesus. Go out there and forgive those who have spitefully used you. Go out there and pray for your enemies. Go out there and pray for the government, which sometimes those two lines are very blurry uh, between praying for your enemies and praying for those in leadership. Pray. Love. Forgive. Seek the Lord. Ask God to give you opportunities to share what He's done in your life. Rejoice always. Again, I will say, the Bible is just filled with these things for us to be obedient with. And if you look at it from the prism of, I'm going to prove that I'm a good Christian, you will collapse under the weight of that pressure because you can't. But if you look at it as, by the grace of God, I will be and do, I will be what God wants me to be and do what He calls me to do because He's empowering me to do it. That is a completely different way to be a Christian. To say, I rely on the grace of God to do the thing He commands me to do. It's almost like cheating. Steve, I need you to do this. And you, you can't, by the way. You, you can't. But I'm going to help. I'm going to give you the strength to do it and the help to do it and the power to do it and the wisdom to do it. And, and, and there's going to be a couple things that you can't do at all. And I'm just going to do those things. But you're going to have to trust me in order for all that to work and not trust you. I can't imagine what it was like to be Joseph 
riding on the donkey or whatever they were doing between Egypt thinking, how many more angel dreams am I going to have? and How many more trips am I going to take? It's hard to say what was going through his mind. Just be obedient to what you know is true. And when you are falling short, say, Lord, help me. Help me to do what you're calling me to do. All right. You get out early this morning. Let's all stand up. Next week we're going to talk about there's a lot more information on Mary. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Thank you for this time of year. God, help all of us to not be swallowed up in the pressure of Christmas, but to appreciate the sending of your Son. Lord, let that be the focus of all of our homes and all of our lives and the way we're thinking so we can enjoy all these moments together in you. Lord, help us this week to be obedient to the things that we can't do on our own. God, we thank you in advance because your grace is sufficient for us. Your mercy will be new tomorrow morning just like it was this morning. Your help, the power of your spirit, the helper, the comforter will be with us. We thank you for all of that, Lord. We know that there's stuff we're going to face this week we don't know how to deal with, but you have already made the means and the provision to deal with it. We're going to trust you when we encounter those moments. Lord, help us to be obedient and recognize when those moments pop up, those little tests, to be obedient, Lord, that you're going to be there with us and help us do it. Lord, we thank you for all of this. Let us shine like lights this week, wherever we go. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you are officially dismissed.